trash that's common in society. What is a woman? Can you tell me that? Marriage is a patriarchal plot to oppress women. And there's no greater source of systematic oppression than the nuclear family. My pronouns are she, her, or they, them. Do you guys think men can get pregnant? Oh, yes. Men, women, marriage, family, society. Well, hey, good to see you guys this morning. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was telling you about uh, about a month and a half ago how I went to uh, Mexico. A buddy of mine, uh, we jumped in a junky old car that he was getting ready to scrap, and we were, just, we were just like, let's just see how far south this thing goes. And we went down there, and we ended up uh, in southern Mexico, which is way farther than what we expected, and we ended up at the ocean. And I remember as we got there, this took us many, many, many days of just riding, and uh, we were like ready to like do something fun. And when we got to the ocean, it was like one of those things, kind of like a scene from a movie where we like parked into the, in the, there wasn't even a parking lot, it was like along the edge of the road, there was sand everywhere, ocean as far as you could see, and uh, we ran down this bank, we threw off our shoes and our shirt, and we just like dove right in, it was awesome. And as we sat there, we are like, like finally, relaxation, it wasn't like a vacation, I wouldn't call this trip that, it was more like uh, adventure, okay? But after we're, we're in there, and we're just like kind of floating around in the ocean, we're talking about like, man, you know, I can't believe this car made it just all this stuff, like, um, you know, it's just one of those things. I look back at the shore, and I realize, hey, our stuff's gone. Our, our shoes are gone. Our shirt's gone. Like, everything, our keys, everything's, like, gone. And I'm like, man, we made it all through Mexico, and here we are in Cancun at the ocean, and now we lose all our stuff. And as I'm looking around, I'm like, oh, wait, that building, I don't remember being there. And you're kind of looking around, and you're like, where am I? And I realized that, oh, our stuff is like way down there, still on the beach. Our stuff didn't move. We were the ones who moved. And I feel like a lot of us as Christians, we fall into the trap of viewing our society as neutral, right? We view our society as nothing, like it's not good, it's not bad, it just is what it is. But the Bible tells us the exact opposite. In fact, our Bible tells us that society is not neutral and that our society is always drifting towards ungodliness and it just doesn't stop. It's constantly moving. And so what we have to do as Christians is we have to stand up against the current of our culture. And I feel a lot of us, what we have done is we have... Um, We've kind of gone with the flow where we don't even realize that we have moved away from God in our own personal relationship with God because we're so entrenched in society and society keeps drifting us away from God and we don't even re really realize that we're the ones who have moved. Now, if you are living life right, this is what Jesus says. All right, you ready? This is Jesus' own words. Okay, ready? Okay, all right. Uh, Jesus says, if you're living life right, the world will hate you. That's what he says. He says, if you are living life right, society will hate you. You know why? Because we as Christians are to love the people of this world unconditionally, but we also at the same time reject the culture and the systems of this world wholeheartedly. 
All right, that's what it means to be a Christian. And we have an enemy out there who the Bible says is coming to seek, kill, and destroy. In fact, the Bible describes the enemy as somebody who is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anybody uh, to devour. And so think about it. If the enemy can convince men that they are women, if the enemy can convince women that they are men, if the enemy can destroy marriages and relationships all around us, the enemy wins. And that's what we see happening. By the way, have you noticed that everything that the enemy seems to attack um, when it comes to men, women, relationships, specifically even marriage, uh, it all revolves around the family, right? It's all family. Ultimately, that's what the enemy is doing. Our, we have an enemy who is attacking family and not just some family in some distant land somewhere that we're like, oh yeah, it's a shame, you know, for them. No, the enemy is attacking your coworker's family. The enemy is attacking your neighbor's family. The enemy is attacking, attacking your friend's family. The enemy is attacking my family. The enemy is attacking your family. He is going after you. And he attacks because family was God's idea. And he attacks because family is good for us. And God's idea was good. In fact, if you think about it, just think about all the way back to the beginning. All right, at one point, apparently, God has this idea that's like, hey, I am going to create this thing called family, and this is what I'm going to do. God's like, I'm going to create sex, and that which, that will create families, um, and really, that was one of the first jobs for Adam and Eve to do, right, is to be fruitful and multiply. We all understand what that means. Okay, yeah. What? In the Bible? Yeah. All right. And so they were to go make little people, this is God's idea, who will then watch and learn what it means to be a man and a woman from both dad and mom. And it's even more than that, which is cool. They get to share the DNA with dad and mom, but they're also got unique DNA and everyone around, around will love each other and they'll be connected at the DNA level and they're gonna like each other and they're gonna be peaceful and they're gonna share and they're gonna serve and they're gonna make each other laugh. All right, that is how the family was designed to be. Now, many of you, you're probably sitting here just like me and you're like, well, that's just not how my family is. We're not like that. In fact, when my family gets together, maybe from Thanksgiving last week, or maybe you're like gearing up for Christmas, you're like, when my family gets together, it is crazy. Like, it's chaos. Like, everybody's getting all mad, and everybody annoys each other, and they start arguing with each other, and the one person says the thing, they know the exact thing to say, that's going to that's gonna set off this person, and that might be your family. And I've talked to a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of guys, actually, I've talked to, and they'll say something like, like, well, Zach, you don't know my wife. And I don't, usually. And I've talked to a bunch of wives out there who are like, well, well, Zach, you don't understand how my husband is at home. He is so much different at home than how he is at church. Or we, I've talked to some people where they're just like, Dad, or Zach, you don't understand how difficult my kids are. And I go out, you know, and I'm just like, you're right. I don't. I didn't marry that person, okay? You know, I, I don't understand. And, and I, like, I don't even understand chaos because there's no chaos in my home, <laughs> right? Not with my family. I wake up every morning to Kate giving me breakfast in bed, and she's like singing a soft hymn, okay? And then after I eat my meal, my kids, they, they, they present themselves to me, and they each, one at a time, without interrupting each other, they say something like, Father, they didn't have an accent, I don't know why I did that, but they present themselves to me, and they say, Father, we love you, what do you expect out of us today? And after I go through each one and I give them my expectations and what I want them to do, then I dismiss them and they start hugging each other and telling each other how much they love each other and stuff like that. All right? That's how my family is. I don't know what yours is like. <laughs> now, my house is crazy in the morning. 
okay? All right, I'd be so embarrassed if you guys could just see what my house is like. I got three kids running around. I got two of them are always looking for the homework that they didn't do anyway, and they're blaming each other and blaming me and, my, and their mom and their sister about why they can't find the thing that they didn't do anyway, while the other one is out somewhere, and she's always spilling stuff, all right, every morning. And I'm getting trying to get ready for work, and kids trying to get them clothes, or Kate's trying to get them clothed, and it's just, it's just not perfect, right? Just like your family. Family is crazy. Sometimes we miss stuff. Just the other week, I was, this is two weeks ago, um, I was with, um, or I, I came home from work, and my middle, middle child, uh, Wes, right, he's uh, six, he's going, he's in kindergarten, uh, he comes up to me, he's like, dad, 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 I had the most embarrassing day ever. And I'm like, oh man, what happened? And I've had some pretty embarrassing days at school myself. And so I'm like, all right, let's hear this. Let's, I'll, I'll, we'll compare the two. And, um, and so he's like, this is what happened. All right, I was in my class, and I was doing something. I was doing, like, my work, and I, something in my pants was bothering me. And at that point, I'm like, oh, man, all right, this isn't good. This could go south real bad, real fast. And so he's like, something in my pants, in my leg of my pants was bothering me. And I looked down, and there's, like, something in there. And so he's like, so I reached in my pant leg, and I, like, pulled it out. And you know what it was? I'm like, no, what was it? He's like, it was a pair of underwear. Like stuck in there from the dryer or something. He's like, Mom forgot to take those out. And I'm like, oh man, buddy, that's that's tough. And I'm like, and he's just like, it was so embarrassing. I was in class and I pulled out a pair of my underwear and um <laughs> from my pants, you know, from his pant leg. And I'm like, well, well, what'd you do? And he was like, Well, I stuffed it back in as fast as I can so no one could see. And I'm like, so you walked around all day with like an extra pair of underwear like bulging in your, in your pants, you know, leg, pants leg? And he's like, yeah, all day. And he didn't even take it off. He took it off as soon as he took them out as soon as he got home. And uh, I was like, yeah, that's pretty embarrassing. Not as embarrassing as me as, as having your swimming trunks disintegrate in a pool in seventh grade in front of 30 girls. That's one thing. All right. But, uh, but this is up there. Okay. Um, anyway. Our families are crazy. Every single one of us, all right, we have family problems. And if you're sitting here and you're going, well, I just don't think my family, my family seems pretty perfect to me, all right, you're probably the problem and you just don't understand it. Okay, you don't know it. We all got family issues because we have an enemy who's been after the family and he's after your family. He's been after family since the beginning. I mean, think about the first family. We talked about the first family a little bit last week. Um, what happened, right? Adam, rather than protecting Eve, he chose not to lead. You got Eve, rather than helping Adam, she chose selfishness. She chose herself, and sin entered the world, and they kind of messed everything up. And then, if you remember, God, when he comes down to confront them about their sin and about their rebellion against him, what do they do? They blame each other. Does that sound like anybody's marriage here? Right? They blame each other. And Adam's like, well, if you, know, if, if you wouldn't give me her, this wouldn't have happened. Just all this stuff. And sin entered the world through the first family. And sin entered the world through the first family. Guess what? Before they had kids, all right? Kids weren't the issue there. It wasn't because they were so, well, I got kids, I got all this business. It wasn't that. Sin entered the world, but it did have a big impact on their future kids. In fact, if you remember, just the next generation later, one of their sons kills the other out of jealousy. At this point, there may have only been four people on the planet, and one has already killed the other. Their family, their brothers. I mean, the family was messed up. The enemy went in and messed up family early. In fact, as you look at the Bible, I cannot think of any good examples of family at all. Not even one. 
right? You got, you got Abraham, right? Abraham had an affair on his wife. You got Isaac, who um, had, had favoritism between his two sons. And then his son, Jacob, he also showed favoritism between his sons, and that caused a bunch of problems. Jacob had two wives anyway, which is an issue. And then Moses, he was in constant rivalry with his brother and his sister. And then you got David. We just got done talking about David for weeks and weeks and weeks. And if you remember, David's, his family was just a mess because he chose to be passive and he chose to do nothing. He chose not to parent. And so I was thinking through it and I'm like, man, all right, well, well, Jesus, right? Like, I mean, think about it. You got Mary, she seems pretty cool. You got Joseph, Joseph seems like a pretty good dude in the Bible. And then you got Jesus and Jesus is God. So you got that like cleared up, you know, and you're going, well, that would be a great family. Uh, but then you think about it, you're like, well, I mean, we also know from the Bible that when Jesus was just a young kid, they left him in some foreign city. <laughs> like they go and visit Jerusalem, they do their thing, and they leave Jerusalem. And like in the next day, Joseph goes up to Mary. He's like, hey, where's Jesus? And she's like, oh, no, you had Jesus last. And he's like, no, you were supposed to be watching. And they're just going, you know, and then they have to go back and they find Jesus. They left Jesus, all right? That's not cool. That's not good. They left their little kid in some, in some foreign city. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. And then when Jesus got older, and Joseph at this point, his dad probably had died, all right? But when Jesus got older and he's doing his ministry, you got his brothers and his mom thought he was crazy. And they're telling people that. Like Jesus had his own issues with family. See, that's the thing I love about the Bible, is that every single one of us, we can relate because the Bible is filled with a bunch of sinners, except for Jesus. See, that's the way God created family. God created family off of the foundation of relationships, specifically the marriage relationship, okay? So hear, hear me out. The marriage relationship is the foundation of family. Now, we talked about the marriage relationship last week. If you missed last week, you should go back and watch or listen to it. It's online, all right? Go, go to ohiograce.com and, uh, and get that. Um, just, it's the foundation. So if you want to start with the foundation, which you should when it comes to building family and doing family right, which is difficult, all right, go listen to that. And so that's the foundation of, 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 of family is the, the marriage relationship. But equally as important is the child-parent relationship. Maybe not as foundational, but equally as important as the child-parent relationship. And the child-parent relationship and the marriage relationship, these relationships are connected, obviously. And it's designed that way. But we live in a world that constantly plays down marriage. I mean, think about it. We live in a world that says, well, you know, you don't have to marry her. You just move into each other and kind of try out marriage before you could get married. You don't have to commit. All right, we live in a world that's like, you could go sleep with anybody. It's just not that big of a, big of a deal. You're not hurting anybody. We live in a world that just is, is just constantly downplaying marriage. And when it comes to parenting, this is what I want us all to understand. Marriage matters. It matters a lot. It's a big, big deal. See, downplaying marriage, what it actually does is it robs kids of the opportunity to dream of and choose God's design for family in their life. See, God has designed family. He's got this idea of this is what family should look like, and we're robbing that ability for your kids to dream for that and to choose that right, in their life. See, there's a lot of kids, and maybe this was you when you were growing up because maybe you didn't grow up in the ideal family, right? like all of us. Um, but for many kids, they don't aim for God's design for family. You know why? Because they've never seen it. They've never experienced it. 
There's a bunch of kids out there. They don't even know it's there. They don't know it's even out there. And so as parents, we need to prepare kids for their future. Sure, we get that. We, need, we understand that. We need to prepare our kids emotionally and financially and, and physically. But most importantly, our job as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and coaches and teachers and mentors or whoever you are, right, we are to raise, our, we are to prepare kids spiritually and teach them about God and teach them how to love God. That's God's design, that the family, that we would raise kids together as a mom and dad, as a team. And all parents struggle. All right, we all do. All right, remember the first time you saw your kid or met your kid? I don't know how that works. Um, well, I guess I do know how it works. Um, but remember, uh, we won't talk about that. But remember the first time that you met your kid, like, at the hospital? All right, so for me, it was Kate. She gives birth to Toby. And, um, and he's birthed, and immediately they give, the, they wrap the kid up or whatever, and they, they give, the, they give the, the baby to Kate, okay? And she, you know, snuggles with him. I don't know what they're doing, you know, the bonding, okay, <laughs> doing whatever that is. And, um, and so, as, you know, as a dad, I'm like, I'm not jealous at it. I'm like, okay, let's get that cleaned up, you know, kid cleaned up before I hold him, you know? And... Um, and so they're doing their thing, and then eventually they come in, they take the baby, they take him out of the room, and they're, like, measuring the baby and weighing and just doing all that kind of stuff that they do. And then they bring the baby back in, and, um, and Kate holds him for a little while, and maybe, you, see, you know, and I, you know, I held him for a little bit, but it just wasn't the same. When Kate left, I think she left the room maybe to go to the bathroom or something, it's just like, and, and, the, and I remember Toby, he's laying there on, like, one of those little you know, warmer things, um, like, you know, the under warmer thing, you get what I'm saying? Like, he looks like a chicken sandwich at McDonald's, you know, just like laying there. And Kate, she's like, it's just me and him for the first time ever. And I'm like, all right, me and the kid, okay. And the first time dad, I don't know, I've only been a dad for a few hours now. And I remember like walking up to, to him and I'm like, hey kid, you know, I don't know what to say. He doesn't talk back, and we haven't met before, really. And so you're just like, hey, I saw a picture of you a few months ago. You look like a little gummy bear. You're looking better now, you know, like that type of thing. And, um, and you know, you're looking at this, and, and you don't know what to do. And as a dad, I don't know how it was for you. It might be completely different for you. But for a dad, there's got all these emotions because I'm like, this is my kid, all right? Like, like I'm, yeah, I don't know what to do with him or what to, what to even say to him. But there's just something about it where it's like, but I would die for this kid. We've never communicated, all right? I've never, I've never, we've never talked to each other. We've never hung out with each other before, all right? I don't know this kid yet. I don't know this person. That's what he is, a little person. But I would die for him. And it was crazy about it. It's the, only, it's the same emotion that you're like, I would die for this kid, but he's also the, the same person who's going to drive you crazy for the, like, for the rest of your life, you know, different times, off and on. Like, you know this as parents. And so you have all these emotions that are kind of going through you, um, and, and you don't know what you're doing. And then, like, the next day, the hospital, they take, you know, they pack the kid up and, and take the kid to your car. They lock him in all the different ways and show you kind of how to do that. And uh, I remember we drove home, and, um, and I, you know, I'm the dad bringing home my, my son, you know, and I pick him up in the carrier. I walk him into the house, and I remember setting him in the living room on the, just in the middle of the floor and uh, looking at Kate, and I'm like, now what? All right, done pretty good up to this point. Now what do we do? You know, I have no idea what I'm doing. And so the question that we should all be asking as parents is, like, how do we get our kids from the car seat to the driver's seat? 
preferably with our relationship still intact, okay? How do we get this done? And if you think back, really the key to all of this is it was the way, even in your own life with your parents, think about it, it was the way that your parents lived their life, not their advice and not their parenting skills, that determined whether or not you wanted to be like them or that you wanted to even be with them. Think about it. It's the way that your parents lived their life. Again, not their advice, not necessarily their parenting skills that determine how much respect you have for them or had for them. All right, it's the way that your parents lived their life that determined the trajectory of your relationship with your parents. See, it's the way that you live your life, meaning it's your behavior as an adult, as a parent, as a grandparent, as an aunt, uncle, all right, coach, teacher, mentor, whoever, whoever you are, whatever that relationship is. It's the way that you live your life that determines whether your kids like you, whether your kids want to be like you, whether your kids want to spend time with you, and most importantly, maybe whether your kids respect you. See, respect is kind of the key here because respect, you know what respect does? Respect creates influence. And if you want influence with your kids later on in life, which I promise you, you will. You need to have the respect now. And respect is mostly, mostly earned by your behavior as a parent. See, the way that you live your life at home, it matters. And it matters a lot. In fact, one time in the Old Testament, it's at the end of Moses' life, um, he is giving his last words Right To the Jewish people, there's about two million of them. He's been with them for, for decades at this point. And uh, he kind of brings everybody in. And what he does is, at this point, he's already given the Ten Commandments. All right, So we all know kind of what that is. Here's the Ten Rules. Did you just follow these? You'll be good. And he wants to give them kind of his last words. And what he does, which I really love, is he dumbs it all down for us. So he dumbs it all down for them, which means he dumbs it all down for us. And he, basically what he says is he's saying, hey, this is how God expects you to live your life. All right, don't worry about all these different commandments that you got to follow necessarily. You need to love the Lord, which is what he's going to say. All right, we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, hey, listen up. All right, and this is like, think of it as like a coach, a uh, football coach. He's going into the huddle, fourth, fourth quarter. It's like a minute left. He knows he doesn't have much time. They got to score. And he goes into the huddle. He's like, all right, listen up, guys. All right, focus in. You guys all focus? Everybody's like, okay, yeah, we're focused. What do we got to do? He's like, here's the plan. This is what Moses says. He says, the Lord, our God, is one. All right, the Lord is one. He says, this is what you got to do. Here's the game plan for you and your life. He says, you got to love the Lord. He says, love the Lord. That's the plan. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. That's what you got to do. Especially what we're going to find out as parents. Now, he doesn't say, here's the Ten Commandments. Here's all these little things you got to do. No, no, no. He's like, okay, the easiest thing. All right, here's it is. Here it is. Love. If you love, if you love God with everything that you are, you're good. That's what you got to do. He's, what really he's pointing out is he's saying, hey, what you choose to love, all right, that's what drives and motivates your life. You get that, right? And love is a choice. What you choose to love or who you choose to love, that is the thing that drives and motivates your life. And so that becomes kind of the number one thing in your life. And so what he's saying is that the number one thing for you as a God follower is uh, you need to love God. And not just love God like you love like a cheeseburger, okay? No, you're supposed to love, love God with everything that you are. You need to love God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all of your strength. And for us as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and all of the above, if we do this, our behavior follows. It follows. Moses says this. He says, these words that I'm giving you today, he says, man, these are to be in your heart. This isn't something that you just like, I was really good in college of like, I could memorize something for like an hour, like right before the test, and then I'd put it all down, and I would get an A, and I'd forget it like the next 15 minutes. Like that's how, that's how I got through life, all right? Um, he's not saying it's not supposed to go like in one ear, out the other. That's not how it's supposed to be. Let's go back real quick. He says, um, he says the words that I'm giving you, he's saying, I'm giving you, these are to be in your heart. This is something you're supposed to remember. This is something you're supposed to memorize. You should know. It should be on the forefront of your mind. How am I loving God? How am I loving God? Am I loving God with everything that I am? Am I loving God with all of my heart? Am I loving God with all my soul? Am I loving God with all of my mind? And then he says, once you figure that out, you need to repeat them, or maybe a better word is, you need to teach them to your kids. Meaning, you need to teach them to the next generation. And so everybody in here, whoever you are, whatever relationship you have to kids or children or really the next generation, it's not just like 18 and under here. We're talking like people underneath us or people not underneath us but, uh, but younger than us. We have a job to teach the generation that comes after us to love God with everything that they have. Everything. See, as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and, you know, you realize that you're always teaching your kids something. Do you realize that? We totally forget this. We don't think about it. But you're always teaching your kids something. So, like, man, let me just throw this out there. All right. If you are aggressive towards your wife and you're just one of those guys out there that you're just constantly belittling her in every, you know, way you guys go, what, what are you teaching your kids? All right, you're not telling your kids to do this, all right, but you are teaching them. You're teaching your boys to do the same to your future daughter-in-law. That's what you're teaching them. And you're teaching your girls what to expect from their future husbands. You're teaching the girls that they should take this, that this, is, that this is normal. That's what you're teaching your daughters. See, dads, can I just single you out real quick? Moms, your words matter. Okay, we get that. All of our words. Like words, words can, are so strong. We could use our goods or words for, for good, and we can use our words for bad. But dads, your words, they just weigh more. They weigh more than moms. They just do. And some of you guys, you know this, because you can have specific words. You can remember words that your dad told you. Maybe they were really good. Maybe they were awful that still affect you here today. Dad's words just way more. And so dads, you need to be on your guard. You need to be so careful with how you use your words. The Bible has a lot to say about this. You need to, you need to watch what you say and how you say it. It's so important because it can affect your kids and it can affect, it can affect the generation under you long after you're gone. And so you got to understand, what are you teaching your kids? All right, ladies, all right, let me ask you, if you are like a constant complainer, all right, if you're constantly like nagging your husband, can I just say this? Even the Bible feels bad for your husband, okay? It does. The Bible says that a nagging wife is like constant dripping. Drip, 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 
drip, drip, drip, drip, drip. That's God. God says that. And you're like, yeah, that would drive me crazy. And you do. All right. That's, it's, it's, if, if that's you, like, think about it. God says that it is better for men to live in the desert than, by themselves than with a nagging wife. Okay. That's what the Bible says. That's got this idea where like, it's like God going up to your husband and says, hey, I see what's going on here. Why don't you just go? Why don't you go to the desert? And your husband's like, well, is there water there? And God's like, no. And then your husband's like, well, won't I die there? And God's like, yeah, and it will be horrible and it will be an agonizing death. But it's better than what you got going on here. That's what the Bible says, okay? That's, that's the idea of what the Bible says. And so, ladies, let me just point this out to you. Like, if, you, if, you're, if you're just constantly belittling and constantly nagging the people around you, what are you teaching your girls? You're teaching your daughters that the way they get what they want is through constant nagging and commenting on everybody else's weaknesses, that's what you're teaching them. And what are you teaching your sons? You're teaching your boys that someday they will also be failures at marriage and failures at being a dad and being a man. That's what you're going to teach them. See, we as parents, we are constantly teaching our kids, not through advice, but through the way that we live and through our behavior. They're watching. They're listening. They're always learning from us. And so here you got Moses. Moses is saying, man, it's kind of like the idea that he's like, your kid's spiritual life, like your kids and their relationship with God as a parent and a grandparent, he's like, it's kind of on you. Like part of it, not all of it, of course, because they can make their own decision, but some of that's on you. Because your job is to teach your kids to put God number one in their life. Your job is to teach your kids to love God with everything that he made them to be. Now, this is the problem that I see in Christian families, all right? In our culture, we as parents, we often fail at teaching love God the most. What we're really good at is we're really good at teaching our kids, hey, love God. Hey, you, got, you should love God. You should have a relationship with God. You should try praying to God. You should do God's stuff. We like that. We like the religious stuff. But what we're really bad is, what, what we're really bad at is we are bad at teaching our kids to put God number one. That's different. We're bad at teaching our kids to put God first in our life. And the biggest thing that gets in the way is simply busyness. At least that's what I've experienced in my own life. It's just busyness. We just get busy with all this stuff that doesn't really matter. It's just not that big of a deal. Like 20 years from now, we're going to look back and we're like, why was I doing that? Why was I going to that meeting? Why was I, why was I doing all this stuff? Right? See, families are just so busy in our culture. And we as parents, it's like, it's like, man, we don't want our kids to miss out on anything. We don't want our kids to miss out on any experience that they might have. Soccer, volleyball, baseball, dance clubs, you got, you know, you got basketball, you got, you got school stuff. You just got all this stuff that we got going on in our kids' life. And so often um, what we're teaching our kids is that, is that their relationship with God is secondary to all that stuff. So all that stuff comes first, and all of our commitments come first, but our commitment to God doesn't mean as much. And so this is what we do. We as parents, we try so hard to kind of hold on to both. So picture this ladder as like, um, like the, the ways of the world or the things of the world. Picture this ladder as a relationship with God. And so what we teach our kids, right, like, like when they're young and when things are going, we're like trying to get started off and, you know, start out right on the right foot with our, with our lives when we're young. And, and uh, what we do is we start taking steps in our job, which is okay in a sense, where it's like, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this job and I know that it's during church on Sundays or, it's, you know, it's during work, but, but it's my job and this is important and it pays well. And so, and so this, is what I'm, this is what I'm committing to. And then you start taking some steps up the ladder towards the way that the world wants you to work, all right? 
right? The world wants you to go after. And then as our kids grow older, then it's like sports. And you got dance. And you got all these little things that our kids are, are a part of. And it's like, well... You know, um, hey, we want them to we want them to move up in those things. We, you know, maybe they could get a scholarship someday, and maybe this will happen. So it's like practice, and then we got games, and we got all this stuff that ends up becoming more important than their relationship with God. But then we're over here, and we're like, yeah, I like all this stuff, and I I, I like where I'm at, but I also want to go to church, and so we go to church once in a while. And we do the church thing, and we try to work on a relationship with God. Some of us, maybe even, uh, we start like, oh, well, I'm going to get in the Bible. And so we move up, and we're like, all right, I'm doing devotions like once a week. I'm, I'm studying God. I'm reading the Bible for myself, and we start praying. But then we also got this other stuff where it's like, well, you know, I got, uh, I got this busyness in my life that I also want to focus on. And the, it's not, I, I'm, just to point this out, I just want to say, I'm all for sports, I love sports. I'm all about sports. Uh, my kids play sports. I played sports all growing up. I love sports. All right? The problem is, is when we put sports as above our relationship with God, which so many of us do, and it's so easy to do because if you remember, the world is constantly drifting away from God, and we get stuck in the drift without even realizing it. And so what some of us, what many of us in here, what we're so good at doing is we straddled both. We like got one foot in the world. We got one foot is like, well, this is really, really, really important to me. But then we got the other foot of, well, you know, my relationship with God, that should be important to me as well. And so we go to church and we're like, I'm so committed. And then we go to work. We're like, but I'm so committed. And it's just, we, we like to live in the middle. This is what we do. Some of us, you're so good at it. We live in the middle. But God's saying, and what we see is that you can't climb both ladders while having the one foot on the other. You can't. You can't climb the ladder of the world and keep going while having a foot over here. And you can't grow in our relationship with God while also keeping a foot in the world and, keep, and leaving some of those things of the world as, as a priority above God. You can't be switching it on and off. You can't be, hey, this week sports is most important and this week God's most important. You can't do both. You have to choose. You will never grow in your relationship with God the way that God wants you to grow if you have one foot in the world and you, never, you will never succeed and get success of the world the way the world wants you to have success if you have one foot with your relationship with God. You can't do both. It's either one or the other. You gotta make a choice. See, many of you as a parent, you have set your kid up to live in the middle. By the way, if you climb your relationship with God and you keep taking steps up there, all right, your kid will most likely follow. That's how it works. And if you start taking steps in the world and you climb the ways of the world and that's your most important thing in your life, guess what? Your children will follow. If you try to straddle the middle and you try to live in the middle, guess what? Your children will do. They're going to learn to live in the middle, and they're going to stall out in their relationship with God. Uh, it, this is just how it is. And, and for me, I've talked to so many church parents out there where, you know, for, for years and years and years, where they'll come up to me and they'll say, you know what, uh, Pastor Zach, like, my, my, you know, my student or my kid, they're doing this and they're doing that. I just don't know what to do. I'm kind of giving up. Like, can you talk to them or can you do this? And, and the first thing I ask is I'm like, are they here today? And they're like, well, no, they didn't. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, what are you teaching them? <laughs> 
Well, they got, they got volleyball or whatever. They got, you know, club volleyball every, every Sunday night so they don't go to Fuse or, or whatever it might be. And I'm like, what you, and I'm like think about it, guys. Think, think, what are you teaching your kids? What you're teaching them is that sports is more important than God. Sports is more important than their relationship with God, than pouring in and growing in their relationship with God. And usually I get pushed back on that because no one wants to hear that, right? They're like, well, no, they might get a, you know, they're kind of on track to get a scholarship, and so they committed to this. I hear that a lot, and I'm like, and then they commit to God too? Like, I don't know. You know, and so I'm just like, you know, oh, okay, oh, so they might get a scholarship. Oh, okay, that's, that's good, that's good. So you're teaching your kids that money is more important than God, right? The Bible doesn't talk about that at all. So, you know, like, you get what I'm saying, what we do? A lot of us, we teach our kids that your relationship with God, or, or let's just say church, church is something we do when we don't have anything else going on. Your relationship with God is something you work on when you don't have anything else going on in your life. Is that what you want to teach your kids? And then parents question why their kids drift away when they leave home. I'm like, you taught them to do this. See, that's what starts happening. We start to drift away from God. And when we do it, we take our kids with us. See, if you truly love God the way that Jesus tells us that we should love him, if you truly love God the way that a dying Moses tells his people that they should love him, if you truly love God with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, with everything that you got, the sports, your job, school, club, money, whatever it might be, that becomes so secondary, so secondary. Like, your kids should be here on Sunday mornings. You're, if you got kids in middle school and high school, your kids should be at Fuse. Like what AJ was talking about, if you got a kid in middle school and high school, they should go on this retreat coming up, this Kalahari retreat, just because it's good for them and their relationship with God. It's worth investing in. Why? Because you should value investing in their relationship and their love for God. That should be high priority in your life as a parent or as a grandparent. It's so much more than investing in their athletic abilities and teamwork and future scholarships and all good stuff. It just doesn't compare to their relationship with God, or at least it shouldn't. See, it's so important that you teach your kids, he says, teach it to your children, and you just talk about this, talk about loving God, all right? You talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Even more than that, he says, you need to bind them as a sign in your hand and you need to let them be a symbol on your forehead. Even more than that, you can write them on your doorpost of your, of your house and on your city gates. You get what Moses is saying? He's just kind of rattling off here. Moses is like, to love God with everything that you are is so important, like your whole life should reflect that love for God. And you need a constant reminder in your life. And not only do you need a constant reminder in your life, but your kids need a constant reminder in their life. He's saying you got to teach it to your kids. You got to talk about it at home. You got to talk about what, when you walk down the road. You talk about it in your sleep. You talk about it when you go to sleep. You talk about it when you wake up. Right? You write it on your hand. If that's not going to remind you enough, then you just write it right on your forehead. That's, that'll work. And if that's not enough, you write it on the walls of your home and you write it on the walls of the town. You write it everywhere. You make sure that you do whatever you got to do to remember, to remind yourself to love God with everything that you have. That's what Moses is saying. See, God's saying being a parent is a really, really, really big deal. And teaching your kids how to prioritize God in their life, that's like the number one thing you're supposed to teach them. And dads, you're the one to lead in teaching it. I talk to a lot of them. It seems like mostly this moms. Moms are dragging not only their kids to church, but moms are dragging their dads to church. That's not how it's supposed to be. Men, you have to step up and lead your home the way that God, not just anyway, okay, the way that God has called you 
to lead. And you should be taking the lead to help your children or to teach your children to love God in everything. This is actually reiterated in the New Testament. Check this out. Um, it says, fathers, in Ephesians, um, notice he doesn't, he doesn't write this to moms and dads. All right, I think we can apply it to probably both moms and dads. But specifically, God says, dads. All right, dads, you listening? You listening? Okay, got three dads out there. They're listening. All right, wake the other ones up, if you would. He says, dads. All right, this is God talking to you here today. He says, dads, don't stir up anger in your kids. Now, what's he talking about there? Do my kids always get, do my kids get angry at me? Yeah, okay. When I punch them, they get angry. That's just how it is. Um, this doesn't mean like your kids should never be mad at you, okay? Probably if you're doing things right, your kids should be mad at you sometimes, if you know what I mean. This is the idea of, of don't push your kids to the point of exhaustion or frustration, okay? Don't poke at them. Don't belittle them. Don't, don't constantly um, be messing with them. And the, and the idea is that you are, don't exert your authority over them needlessly. Don't do it just to do it. Don't boss them around just because you're the boss. Right? Have meaning to what you do and why you do what you do. He says, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. He says, this is what you're supposed to do. And I know some of you guys out there, you're just like, man, I don't get, like, if I don't push my kids, like, if I don't do everything in my power to make sure that they hit maximum potential, then they might not turn out right, and I don't want that for them. And what you really mean, if you dig down deep, is you really mean is if you don't push them, then they might not turn out the way that you want them to turn out. But think about it. What if your kids were not meant to be exactly who you want them to become or what you want them to become? I'm just saying. I don't know. I don't know your kid. Right, what if God has a different plan for your kid? See, pushing your kids to the point of exhaustion, it could cause so much strain, and ultimately it can break relationships. I've seen it, for, I've seen it year in and year out. You see how much better it is to do it God's way? as parents, all right, God's way is this. Train them up in God's way. Train them to love God with everything that they got. Train them to prioritize, all right? Train them to value their relationship with God over the things of the world. And then after you train them adequately and then they grow up, let them choose which way to go. Let them choose what they do. Let them choose the kind of person they want to be. That's what great parents do. Right? Great parents, they inspire their kids, they motivate their kids, they give their kids tools that they need to not just be successful professionally and financially, which are both important areas, but most importantly, spiritually. And they don't push their kids to the point of exhaustion or frustration just to become the person that you think they need to be. That's not leading well. You gotta lead well. See, after Moses gives his last words here, he dies, <laughs> And, um, and Joshua, kind of the second command, he leads. And, and he, they move in the land. They do everything that, that they were supposed to do. And God, God helps them. He's a good leader. But on Joshua's deathbed, he does something kind of similar to what Moses did. In fact, maybe probably got his idea from Moses because he was probably right there next to Moses as Moses was given these final words. This is what Joshua says. He gathers the Jewish people, and he's getting ready to die. He's been leading them for years. And he says, hey, choose for yourselves today. He says, guys, this is what I want you to do today, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month. He says, choose for yourselves today. Which will you worship? 
Are you going to worship the gods of your ancestors' worship beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites whose land that you are now living? What, now, none of us, you know, in here, I'm assuming we don't struggle with, like, worshiping some fake gods, okay? We just don't do that, or idols. Uh, what we end up doing is we start worshiping, like, stuff. And we start worshiping anything that we put in priority above God in our life, our job, our spouse, maybe a relationship, whatever it might be, our kids, all right, anything that we put above God in our life, that is, that, that's, we're worshiping that, okay? That's what's going on. And so here, he's saying, choose for yourselves, maybe in today's context, today, all right, choose for yourself, what are you going to worship? Are you going to worship your job? Are you going to worship your kids? Are you going to worship a relationship? Are you going to worship yourself? Are you going to worship comfort? Are you going to worship, you know, whatever it is, your, your hobby or whatever it is that you do? Is that what you're going to worship? You need to choose or are you going to worship God? And then Joshua says, as for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. See, there's a bunch of men in this room today who you need to make that decision. You have been living in the middle for too long. You live here. You got one foot in both. You got one foot in your relationship with God. You got one foot in the things of the world and just everything that the world stands for. And you need to choose. What Joshua is saying, choose. Which one? Stop straddling both. Stop living in the middle. Choose. Which one are you going to worship? Are you going to worship God? Or are you going to worship your stuff? And what's sad is you flip two pages and that whole generation ends up dying. He says, after them, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works that he had done for Israel. And from that point on, the Jewish people had had problem after problem after problem after problem, even up until to this day. You know why? Because ultimately, this generation that Joshua was a part of failed to teach their kids to love God with everything that they had. Don't fall into the same trap. Because we live in a world that is constantly drifting away from God. And we live in a world that is constantly drifting away from God and taking our kids with him. And we have an enemy out there that's coming after your kids. It's coming after your family. The enemy out there is coming after you. Got to lead well. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these words. Um, some of this is complicated. Some of this is just difficult. But God, we need your help. Help us as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and coaches and teachers and mentors, whoever, whatever we are. Help us to lead well. Help us to teach our kids and the, and the people, that, the next generation that you've put in our lives, help us to teach them to love you with everything that they have in them, with their heart, with their soul, with all their strength, with everything. God, we ask that. We need your help. That we'd start today, that today we'd choose. We're gonna worship you, and we're gonna teach our kids to worship you. God, we thank you for these words. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.